Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers, and this is where the best run and drive. Welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is an exciting day because this is the series formerly known as the Future of Cars with Game Changers, and it has had a makeover, a repurposing, and this year it is called the Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. So there. So today is the debut of the new series that used to be and we're going to continue talking about automotive automotive but we're adding a broader topic of mobility and looking at manufacturing so let's see what the buzz on the street is today I recently heard about a study by PwC and the Manufacturing Institute that found that organizations are realizing the DNI that's diversity and inclusion will likely play an increasingly pivotal role as the labor market tightens and skills gaps persist. What does this mean to the manufacturing sector? What does it mean as organizations, any company, is looking for more experience and different backgrounds in their workforce to spur innovation? Let me give you some statistics that will make this even clearer. The study I referenced found that in 2016, women comprised 47% of the total U.S. labor force. That's 47%, just less than half, but only 29% of women worked in the manufacturing sector. Why does this matter? Well, MAPI, you may not have heard of it. I looked it up. It's the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation says the manufacturing sector employs fewer women than it did 20 years ago. And the number of black workers also shrank slightly during the same period. So even though we're seeing innovations, we're seeing progress on the factory floor, we're seeing automation and Internet of Things and machine learning and all kinds of sensors telling when machines are going to break down and how to be more efficient. Get this. Men make up 71% of the manufacturing workforce, but overall, their workforce labor participation is 53%. That doesn't quite balance out. So, question on the table today. What steps must companies take to entice, draw, retain, attract and retain the best and the brightest to work in industry 4.0 enabled factories while diversifying their workforce? It's a huge question and I have two experts joining me today. We know them both very well who are going to help us figure this out. So welcome, welcome again and let me tell you who my panelists are and then I'm going to invite them to tell us what they've been up to, what they're doing, what their roles are. So first up, in a moment, we'll be speaking with Ellen Sasson, S-A-S-S-O, and I always want to say it with a French pronunciation, Ellen. She's at SAP, and Gary Nelson, I can only say Gary Nelson because I can't figure out a different way to say it in French. So welcome to both of you. Ellen Sasson, welcome, and please tell us what have you been up to. For people who've never met you on the radio before, Ellen, what do you do at SAP, and what's your involvement in this big field called audio? Automotive, mobility, manufacturing. Go ahead, Ellen. Hi, Bonnie. This is Ellen. And my role at SAP, this is my third year, Automotive Industry Executive Advisor, North America, which means I have the honor and the privilege of looking at the automotive industry across North America and where SAP has a very strong heritage is across 
the big automakers generally in supply chain, service parts management, manufacturing, finance, procurement. We have a very strong presence with the people who make cars. And then we've also extended into the suppliers that supply those manufacturers. But recently, I've been looking at another aspect of automotive, which is on the B2C side, so to consumers, with auto dealers, with mobility, with kind of a kind of a different space for us. We're moving quickly into that space because it's mm-hmm. such a part of the whole ecosystem. So that's what I've been doing. Ellen, question. This inequity, this, I'll call it an imbalance in the makeup of the workforce. Is this something that manufacturers are aware of? Are they saying, gee, we really don't have enough women, enough minorities in our workforce, and we're lacking this, this energy, this force of creativity and innovation? Are they aware of this, or is this something that industry watchers are saying they need to do? What I'm asking is, is this something they want to do? Maybe it's a bold question, but what do you see, Ellen? Okay, I don't mean to be cynical, but they don't have a choice. Everybody ah. needs talented people. So whether you want women or African Americans or Hispanic, whatever you want or don't want, it's it's secondary to you need talented people. Period. And I, I think that that awakening has happened in the last few years. It's not about who you want. It's about talent. Period. Thank you very much. I like that. The word word from the mountain or the word from the car at the top of the mountain. Thank you. We'll be talking about cars a little bit later. Ellen, always a pleasure to have you back. Gary Nelson, welcome. How are you? Have you been? And tell us if somebody doesn't know who you are, Gary, what do you do? And what's your take on the question I asked, Ellen? What are manufacturers waking up and saying, oh, my goodness, we don't have enough talent? Are they saying, wait a minute, this is not a balanced workforce? First, tell us what you do and then weigh in, please, Gary Nelson. Well, first of all, Bonnie, thanks for having me back again. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be talking with you. Thank and you. Um, I, am, uh, I am Ellen's counterpart for industrial machinery manufacturing at SAP. So I cover all of North America in complex, discrete manufacturing environments uh, for, for heavy equipment and the componentry that goes into them. And uh, most of my time is spent with companies along those lines doing everything from you know, network-type support where one customer has a problem that another customer has solved to talking about, um, you know, what are the, some of the strategic initiatives in manufacturing uh, today. And those include some of the things uh, that Ellen mentioned for industrial machinery as well, things like, you know, customer centricity and, and moving a B2B world into uh, kind of a B2C um, you know, experience for the customers. Mm-hmm. It involves factory automation um, initiatives, uh, certainly a lot of things in, in service and new business models. But one of the other uh, uh, major things going on in industrial manufacturing, the whole point of this next hour, is there is an aging workforce and there is the talent wars going on. And uh, companies are k- keenly aware of this right now, and they're, they're doing a variety of different things to, to try to combat it. Um, I'm going to say, going to this topic, that I agree completely with Ellen. I think that in some cases, I think most of the companies I work with are aware of the need for um, diversity, and, it, and it's beyond a, a uh, public relations move. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know, as the the millennials, if you will, you know, rise in different places in companies, and uh, and folks who kind of grew up without you know some of the baggage of of you know the '60s, '50s, before that, I think they take it as a uh, uh, it's just kind of a, a normal thing, a natural evolution. And I think that with the shortage of t- 
talent, regardless of you know gender, race, creed, color, they are looking to recruit the best talent, exactly what Alan said, um, and wherever they can find it and whatever they can do to, to recruit it and retain it, um, all, all those things are on the table right now. Thank you very much, Gary. I appreciate that. So the handwriting's on the wall, and the car is going to go over the cliff if they don't wake up and see this. Very, very interesting, the, the concept that anybody can bring innovative thoughts and energy and creativity to, to the table, to the conference table, to the manufacturing floor, is, is probably something that's fairly new, right? It used to be, uh, Ellen, help me with this, it used to be that, especially in automotive, well, that's a man's world. Oh, am I dating myself on that one? Did either one of you see Ford versus Ferrari, by the way, Ellen or Gary? I love, love that movie. Loved. Yep, I talk about it a lot. Gary, did you see it? I know it's on my to-do list, but I'm kind of looking forward to the, the, the movie where they talk about making 77-ton presses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going you're to love the movie. This is the part of the show for our new listeners. I can't believe anybody who's listening to this hasn't already heard The Future of Cars with Game Changers. I think this is season five, and I have to do a shout-out to Judy Kubis at SAP who decided to move the show, The Future of Cars, into mobility and manufacturing, a broader look, including the automotive industry. I think it was a brilliant move, Judy, so thank you for bringing the series back, even in, with its makeover, if you will, its new hat or its facelift uh, for, for another season. Well, so we appreciate it. This is the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a famous or not quite yet famous or once famous person that has on the surface nothing to do with our topic and explain how it relates to our topic. This is where we get to hear how creative they are. So uh, Ellen has picked a quote from Marianne Williamson, who was recently in a spotlight. I'll just give a little background. Marianne Deborah Williamson, born in 1952, I call her a young woman, is an American author, spiritual leader, politician, and activist. She's written just 13 books. Four made the New York Times number one bestseller list in the advice, the how-to, and the miscellaneous category. She's the founder of the Project Angel Food, a volunteer food delivery program serving homebound people with HIV AIDS and other illnesses similar to that. She's the founder of the Peace Alliance, and she has been known as Oprah's spiritual advisor. Well, that qualifies her for a lot lot of people's minds. Here's the quote Ellen has selected from Marianne Williamson. Joy is what happens to us when we allow ourselves to recognize how good things really are. Ellen, you picked this quote for our topic today. We're talking about D&I, diversity and inclusion in manufacturing. Talk to me. What does this quote have to say about this topic? Well, I think it goes back to where we started, which, and I, I know this sounds um, cliche, but it really is a renaissance, either both in terms of startup and creativity, but also opportunities for people to, to grab skills, to get into a new um, lifestyle workforce. And I, I think it... You know, we look and we say it's terrible. It's not terrible. It's amazing right now. And I look at this younger generation because I have the benefit of working out with a lot of people younger than me. They, because of the Internet, because of society right now, they do all kinds of things. You know, it wouldn't be traditional, untraditional, I guess you should say, Bonnie, for women to be marching into the engineering force, the manufacturing plant. And and here's, here's the negative. I those those jobs haven't been 
portrayed as desirable, but yet mm-hmm. they're becoming much more software-driven. They're way more desirable than they were 20 years ago. It's, it's about analytics. It's about studying things. It's not about lifting things. Anymore. You know, we have machines, robots that do all the hard work, the heavy, you know, physically demanding. And I think there just needs to be better marketing of, of what jobs are out there for people because I, they're, they're incredibly creative positions open now. So, Very interesting. And, and, you know, Ellen, uh, we've talked about this on other series. We had a series called The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers a few years back, and we talked about how there is a, a, maybe a small but a, a groundswell of excitement when somebody says to a, a person, what do your children do if their children are working age? Well, my son or my daughter works in manufacturing and they're on the factory floor and they're helping to control the process and they've got this iPad and they're connected to the network and they're making decisions and it's all automated. There is this new cachet about being involved in manufacturing. Is that getting promoted enough, Ellen? Um, no, I think maybe we need more movies. Like you brought up Ford versus Ferrari and I'm just going to pivot to that for a second. Because it, it heightened, it, it showed you how somebody outside of the traditional four walls of Ford, you know, Carol Shelby, could really mm-hmm. shake up Ford. And I think, I think we need movies, and to Gary's point, I don't think about, you know, people making a difference in kind of those super creative areas like plants, like, like areas that really dominate our world, but they're hidden. We need more movies. I, I, I really think our medium <laughs> in this society is movies. Maybe so. we need to do a topic on the show of manufacturing in the movies. Maybe maybe that's something we could suggest to, to Judy for a future episode. I, I would love it. You both have to come back. Thank you. Gary has sent me a quote as well. He sent me a quote. We weren't sure where it came from, but I found an attribution. Bill B-I-L, one L, Keen, K-E-A-N-E, William Aloysius Keen, a.k.a. Bill Keen, was an American cartoonist notable for his work on the long-running newspaper comic The Family Circus. Who doesn't remember that? Which began back in 1960 and continues in syndication today. Here's the quote. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift of God, which is why we call it the present. I like that, Gary Nelson. Talk to me. What are we talking about here in terms of how this quote fits our topic? Well, first of all, I just like the quote for all purposes. I think it's a good way to, uh, you know, focus on living in the now. And, uh, you know, every time I'm on my phone too much looking at it as I'm walking down the street, I realize I maybe should get more into the present, and I think of this quote. But where I think it applies um, in, in this particular instance is we need to, we need to look in the rearview mirror a little bit and look at the history um, for things that have worked for everything from recruiting to onboarding to, to you know, training. When we're talking about this uh, topic on, you know, of, uh, again, I'll call it the talent wars, we also need to look in the future. What are we expecting and what do we want, you know, from um, uh, employees and uh, colleagues as we go forward? And we need to do balance those things while we, we take care of KPIs and matters of, of the present. So I think that all of these things have to be balanced, and I believe that uh, that HCM uh, HR professionals are, are are doing a pretty good job of of that. I don't know how well the execution is working in some cases, mm-hmm. and once again, I'm going to agree with with everything that Ellen said, and I'm going to going to uh, add a little bit to that. Yeah. I think if you 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 talk to folks. 
that aren't involved in manufacturing or aren't like the three of us, you know, aware of what's going on. I think there's a lot of stereotypes, you know, the Rust Belt, you know, Smokestack America, you know, kind of gritty and dimly lit places, and, and that's so out of date. The manufacturing facilities today are, are beautiful and clean and well lit. So I think some of the stereotypes keep people from, from thinking, you know, about a manufacturing job. And because I have a... a, a young adult daughter, I'm going to say women in particular probably view it that way. Um, but I also think that, you know, there was a big, there's been a big push for many, many years in this country to, to go to college. Mm-hmm. And right out of high school, off to college, even if you don't know what you're doing, take a couple years, figure it out, and uh, when you get out, you know, hopefully you find a job. And I think that's part of of what what you see um, in the manufacturing environment, there's great jobs in manufacturing and ch- trade jobs that might be, you know, the best career path for for some for some young folks. And I think that the company should invest PR efforts. You mentioned the movies, but PR efforts in general aimed at all demographics, you know, to highlight the benefits of working in manufacturing. I listen to a lot of sports radio, and uh, there's a continual stream of commercials for um, a media school. You want to go get into sports broadcasting, go to this school. There's great opportunities and and all the benefits of doing it, and it sounds very appealing. I don't see why there couldn't be some of these things for manufacturing. I think it could include, you know, target non-traditional members of the workforce, Um, you know, folks who maybe haven't even ever considered it before. Well, let's bring it to their attention and maybe even lay out a career path it could move somebody from a more traditional direct labor job to to something a little more uh, technical, white collar things like you know robotic programming or maintenance and things like that. You know, just as Ellen said, I think that um, the the heavy lifting part of it and cobots and robots and things are, uh, if not gone, going away. And uh, you know, the jobs are very attractive. Well, as Ellen said, to make a parent proud when you when you talk about what your kids are doing in the manufacturing environment. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mentioned that because we used to, we did a couple shows about that, Gary, where people said there was an excitement. I'm I'm looking at um, stereotypes in manufacturing jobs. You know, I was going to Google that, and uh, I'm I'm looking at some of the headlines. Some of these articles date back to 2004, but skilled trades employers fight dirty job stereotypes. This was an article in USA Today in 2014. Here's another one from ManufacturingLounge.com: attracting women to the male-dominated manufacturing industry. The stereotype is no longer true. Hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs are unfilled. Here's another one. Manufacturing hiring, new challenges and opportunities are worker stereotypes causing a construction skill shortage. Here's another one. Putting five manufacturing stereotypes to rest for good. And another one, stereotyping the stereotypes. This was from 19, uh, sorry, for 2014. And myth-busting American manufacturing. That was from MAPI, the organization I quoted a few minutes ago from my uh, mm-hmm. 2017 article. And here's one, a $100,000 factory job. What's uncool about that? These are jobs for the taking, but kids don't want them. Stereotypes about factory jobs still exist, persist, and the media isn't helping. This is an article back Eight years ago, from February 2012, any thought that was in CNN? Gary, any thoughts on that? What's uncool about that? Stereotypes are are not allowing people to take these jobs. What do you think, Gary? Well, I think they're doing a, a pretty good job with those types of publications and combating it. 
I think it's something that uh, I think it's something that parents can have a discussion with their kids. If I had a pretty good idea that my kid wasn't interested in college, wasn't capable, or wasn't interested in doing it, I think I'd rather say, "Here, I'll give you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Go buy a house and, and go get a job in manufacturing," instead of taking on all this student mm-hmm. debt or me sending all my money off to college for you to have a good time. So, <laughs> so I think there's education at many levels for it, but uh, I think all of those articles do a nice job. Uh, well, I, I assume they do. I haven't read them, but uh, do a nice job of of highlighting the the stereotypical aspects that I think people have when they think of of manufacturing. And I don't even think some of those things pertain in you know a lot of trades. Hey, it sounds kind of fun if I'm a carpenter or a, an electrician or something like that. But uh, it does in other other trades and in manufacturing, and uh, we need to combat those. And here's a quote, Ellen, I'm going to have you jump in a second. The quote is on TV from this article from Money CNN in 2012. On TV, kids don't see many positive images of manufacturing, said Bill Mock, president of Mock Mold, a manufacturer of plastic molds in Benton Harbor, Michigan. A show will have a scene with an old dark building with a bird flying out of it and something <laughs> bad happens. <laughs> and uh, somebody from the Alliance for American Manufacturing, Scott Paul, said, he's the executive director, said pop culture has a big impact on young people. The only recent positive pop culture depiction of manufacturing he could think of was in the movie Iron Man. Very interesting very interesting. An aspiring mm-hmm. machinist, a popular factory job, can start training at age 18 and do a one- to two-year manufacturing apprenticeship. In five years, he or she, and they said that in the article, he or she could be making more than $50,000. In 10 years, it could double to 100000 salary. Not bad for a 28-year-old. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Ellen, thoughts? Stereotypes? Um, well, I, I think that, and I was thinking this as you were speaking, and this is totally an auto-geek person speaking, but when you look at the cars that we've got today, like the beautiful, you know, look at a Tesla Roadster or um, a new Porsche, any of these things, they're truly works of art that are coming off the line. They're not, you know, so if we could start equating maybe this end product with, it comes from manufacturing, it comes from a supply chain, then we're changing the image. So maybe even Ford versus Ferrari was the right kind of movie, just in terms of People are passionate about their cars. Those are physical things, right? Those are that we're creating digital twin. So that's one comment. I think that the end product isn't some dumpy, unlit, ugly thing. It's the work of art that we see on roads all the time. That's one thing. Secondly, we're seeing women, you know, come to the top of these manufacturing companies. I'm thinking of Mary Barra at General Motors. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's many others. That's that's attractive too to women. And also, I was also thinking, just at the level of hiring people, you want to be recruited by people who are like you. I, I think there's a comfort level. So the more we see women you know, running plants or um, CEOs, the more attractive these professions become. And I love everything that Gary said because I agree. I, I don't think college is for everyone. And I think there's an incredible way to get educated Without college, one last comment, I was at the North American Automobile Association this past weekend. The biggest issue in car dealerships is service tech. There's Hmm. no service tech. So they will train you to work there. I I mean, you're going to get tech skills. You're going to get computer skills. It's all computer-based now. So there's so much opportunity if people only knew about it. And I think the community colleges are helping in that regard. 
Yeah, good Ellen, point. Good point, I agree. I love what both of you said. I have something to add here from this article. Believe it or not, the last word, the last sentence is, one idea is to turn to pop culture. And here's the quote. Maybe we need someone cool like Clint Eastwood to say, go work in factories as a follow-up to his Super Bowl Chrysler ad. This is 2012. I thought that was, was That's just great. Yes, that was a great suggestion. Somebody needs to do that. Well, maybe we need a, a, a female. Maybe we need an Oprah to say something like that or, or an Ellen or anybody else with a Lady Gaga, somebody with a single name, one of those one-name icons to say it's cool to work in a factory, manufacturing, any kind of manufacturing for everybody. I, I think we do need a, 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 a pop culture campaign. Guess what? Ellen Sasson and Gary Nelson have been working so hard talking to me. We've gone a little bit not off course but off of the normal format of the show so I'm going to give them a break I'm going to take a quick water sipping break for 90 seconds what we're talking about today is first of all this is the debut of a brand new series under the Game Changers family umbrella the title is now the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers radio shout out again to Judy Cubis at SAP who has the vision and the foresight to renew the series and change it from the future of cars to this broader category and we're very happy with that Judy and our title today is The Future of Talent and Diversity for Mobility and Manufacturing. Ellen and Gary, I'm going to give you a quick 90-second sip break, whatever you've got on your desk there, on your table, and we're going to be right back. So I used to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back, and instead I'm going to say one word, stay. Aaron, out. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator within the automotive and manufacturing industries as we help automotive and industrial manufacturing companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support your ecosystem, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new experience economy. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive and industrial manufacturing industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at voiceamerica.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing with Game Changers. We are, and we're back, and we're talking today with Ellen Sasson and Gary Nelson, both at SAP, both very sharp about this topic. The topic on the table is the future of talent and diversity 
for Mobility and Manufacturing. Who is this workforce? What are they comprised of? We've already had a very interesting conversation in the first half, and we're going to rev it up a little bit even more. So, Ellen, here's what you told me before the show. Let's go with this statement to start the formal roundtable portion of the show. You say the speed of 5G and Internet connectivity means people are more mobile than ever, and that means retaining talent is harder than ever ever with the tightest labor market in history. Ellen, tell me more, please. Well, I I think because the market's so tight with labor, people have their choice of where they want to work. And so the mobility that we see, you know, people moving all kinds of places, staying in jobs less than three years, with a tight labor market, they have that freedom. And with each role, if they can get more skills, and as I was thinking about it earlier, we say manufacturing, it's really software. Everything is about interpreting software, coding software. And I know I work for a software company, but the reality is nothing works without software. So any job, a service tech job, you're going to get technical. You could go anywhere in the country. You can work for anybody you want once you have a certain level of skill. And we're going to keep seeing that. 5G, I'll just segue back to that, mm-hmm. is producing so much data at such a speed that data analysts, you know, data scientists, like all these fields are, are massive if, if you can just tap into a good maybe beginning point to launch your career. And then you can go anywhere you want to go. Well, there you go. Go anywhere you want to go. That's an important part. Gary Nelson, what do you think? Well, I think that's part of the problem. I think that uh, people can go anywhere they want. And I don't think... Uh, <laughs> it's the good news and know, the bad news. Yeah, there's, this isn't a world of, uh, you know, the, the, the gold watch when you retire 25 years at the same company, although it, that is still true in, in a lot of the companies I deal with. But I think that um, it, it's a very mobile workforce. I think if you look at trends in the, I'll call them millennials, but, but basically in the younger folks, hey, they're not saving for that big vacation when they get older. They're going now, and they're, 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 I don't know how concerned they are about uh, you know, retirement and 401ks at a very early age. So, and if it's 401ks, that's fine, but there's not a lot of pension type jobs where, where you put in all the time and, and, and you're secure as you get older. I don't, I don't think all those things are, are weighing on the minds of a lot of folks today. So I think that they are extremely mobile. I think that, uh, you can, you can have a day when somebody doesn't show up with no notice, no two weeks notice. It's just, hey, got a better job last night. Can't make it in today. <laughs> and I think that that's, I know I'm generalizing a lot, but it's certainly more, uh, it, it's more likely to happen today than it might have been 15 or 20 years ago. Very interesting. Thank you very much. That was a good start to that part of the conversation. Ellen, I'm looking at Gary's statements. Gary, let's talk about this. You say manufacturing companies must change their fundamental processes for job postings, applications, interviews, competitive compensation, addressing internal equity issues, training, onboarding, and retention. I think you've covered the world of HCM. What is the reality? What's the fact check? What's really happening? Are they changing? Have they changed? Is HCM aware of this? Do they know that they need to hire Clint Eastwood for a Go Work in Factories <laughs> advertising campaign? Gary, help me out. What What's the mandate for HCM, Human Capital Management? We used to call it HR. Gary, talk to me please. Well, first of all, let me mention HCM as a as an employee. Um, I I liked it a million years ago when it was personnel. <laughs> I don't know if I like being referred to as human capital. I'm it with seems, you. 
I apologize for anybody out there in the profession, but uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be personnel than human capital. Okay, that, or even human. Resources. I love that. Fine. I agree with you. Human cap. When people talk about their assets, the first time I heard somebody say, "Yes, we have to get the assets to go to this trade show." And I said, "What assets? Is it books? Is it pencils? Is it radios? What are, what assets? Well, we're talking about people. We're assets now. Thank you, Gary. Yeah. Love that reality check. Go ahead. I've spoken. Go continue. Uh, well, I think I think there's um, there's two parts to the to the answer that I would give to this. One, I think that uh, HR professionals are considering all these things, um, all of the fundamental processes from the job postings to the applications. I mean, they know that if the online application is hard or ugly or confusing, that you're going to lose people right then and there. You know, they, they want to be integrated in the technology of the company, and, and even if the website is ugly and, and uh, backwards, that, that could be a decision where somebody you want to hire doesn't doesn't apply. But I think there's two sides of that. I think that the HR community is very um, much aware of this and working hard to do it, although there's still a lot of siloed systems out there. I'll talk, I'll talk mm-hmm. about systems because I believe it's great to have integration from the, from the application through the onboarding, all of the learning management systems and things that make your employee experience uh, fulfilling. Um, are, are important. But I don't know if that's true at a company or enterprise level for, for everybody I deal with. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure. I, I think that there's a reasonable percentage of, of companies that HR leadership is not involved in, in the strategic decisions of the company. Now, I think that they're, having, they're getting more and more uh, weapons at their disposal to convince people to include them. But, uh, you know, as, like I said, at the talent wars and as the aging workforce occurs. But I think that the HR professionals are, are very well aware of it and very competent at, at it. I don't know if it's all the way up to the, to the top of the uh, strategic planning in some of these companies. Interesting. I'm, I'm on Twitter right now. You know, I like to live tweet, and they're talking about uh, somebody did a study and said in the global gender gap score, the U.S. is not a leader in diversity. Very interesting. This is a quote from somebody named Joanna Barsh at J-O-B-A 42. That's her handle. And they're showing all the countries with a a better gender gap score. Interesting, interesting. Thank you very much, Uh, Ellen. Thoughts about what Gary said? What is the role of HR, HCM? I love the idea of going back to personnel, Gary. I really do. Ellen, (laughs) thoughts on any or all of the above? Go talk to me, Ellen. I don't want to offend anybody, um, which is oh, never go, a good way go to out start, on a limb, but, Alan. Go out on a limb. <laughs> but what what I'm seeing with what I've got going on with a colleague, um, we're focused on employee experience. So that is, what is it actually like to work for this company, and what is it actually like to deal with these suppliers or be in this plant or. Um, deal with these customers, and that's all called experience management, which is a big thing for SAP. But we're looking at it not through the lens of HR, you know, how much are you being paid and what's your benefit. We're looking at it through the lens of what's the work like. And this is where I might be offending an HR professional. But oftentimes, and this is my own bias, they're not part of the real hard work. Let me say, that was bad, but they're not part of the meat of what makes the company move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to diminish talent. You know, you have to hire good people. Obviously, you got to get good people in. 
But what's it actually? What's the business process like to let's say you know source materials? What is that like? And and to get feedback about that is really, I think, the power of of where we're headed with experience management. Like the total sum, what's it like to work there? Which I, I, I would also argue you learn that from people you trust. So if you have a friend at that company, they're going to give you the straight scoop on what it's like. And that's why the network matters so much. Mm-hmm. So those are my Interesting. thoughts. Thank you very much. Gary, anything you want to add before I pick a statement from Ellen's list? Gary? No, I think, uh, I think I'm, all, I'm all covered on that topic so far. Okay. Ellen, I'm looking at your statements here, and here's a couple of interesting. I'm just going to cherry pick a little bit. You say, creating the right work experience, a safe, stimulating, satisfying work environment is the job of leaders. Culture retains people. The cost of churn in the workforce is extremely high. And let's just take that because I I know we all agree with that. And now you say baby boomers are retiring. We talked about that. And I said, no, no, I didn't get that message. You say Gen X, which is your generation, Ellen, are leading companies today. Gen Y, the millennials, were burned by the recession of 2008. And they're just now doing the things their predecessors have done, like having children, moving to the suburbs, buying cars, staying in jobs. So who is what is the generation that's going to wake up and say, yes, manufacturing is a cool place to work. Yes, I can make a difference. Yes, I can join a company that has a culture that maybe I can impact in terms of worldwide global responsibility, social responsibility, in terms of sustainability, all the good things that not just millennials, but everybody wants today. Ellen, so who's going to be able to make this change? Who, who's the one that Clint Eastwood's message hypothetically is going to reach, Ellen? I think it's that Gen Y group who are in their early 30s right now who who have waited. They didn't have kids in their 20s. I think that, I, I don't know the exact number, but I think kids have waited longer. They're in their 30s now. They're having children. And, and this was the message at this automobile dealer show that, and Bonnie, you'll like this, that mm-hmm. that idea of mobility, you know, and people not owning cars, they're actually moving economists like from J.D. Power and Cox Automotive. They're going the other way. And that these Gen X, well, Gen Y, are moving to suburbs now. They're doing it in their 30s, their late 30s. They are buying cars. They're, this mobility idea that everyone's not going to have a car is probably only true in the urban environment. And once you get old mm-hmm. enough that you want children... You're going to have a car, and probably you're going to want a job, if not sooner, where you're developing the skills we're talking about, which would mean a manufacturing job. And you also talk about sustainability. Yes. More of these companies, like even Delta Airlines, they just made a massive announcement about um, climate emissions. You know, they're going to put a billion tree. Like, big companies are taking this very seriously now, which means the wor- their workers are demanding it and their customers are demanding it. So it's an interesting time, but I think I think just this younger generation, it took them longer to have children, to, to want a house in the suburbs, to want a car. But they're there now. They're getting there. And you're, thank you for that. And I have the article here from March 2020, Delta Airlines will commence its 10-year transformation to become carbon neutral, a pledge that will cover the company's air and on-the-ground emissions. The announcement was made by Chief Executive Ed Bastian, who announced a $1.6 billion profit share for Delta's employees. Woohoo! There you go. Thank you for that, Ellen. Gary, join us. Thoughts? Well, I, I think that um, I hadn't thought about it quite as thoroughly as Ellen has, for sure, but 
I, I think what she said makes perfect sense. You know, I'm, uh, I think that once you move to the suburbs and start having kids, you want your own car. If you've ever had car seats and, and, and transporting kids around, and I don't even mean soccer clubs, I mean mm-hmm. just babies, you're not hauling that stuff in and out of an Uber or a, uh, you know, <laughs> forget the Uber, just, you know, the, the next generation of the shared ride. Um, so, so I think that's, I think that's really, uh, I'll call it insightful. I think that that's something I hadn't really pondered before. And, uh, I think people will, will still be having cars. I think that, um, uh, the environmental aspects that you just alluded to, Bonnie, are very important to the, the Gen Y and the millennials. I think it's important to everybody, but I think it's, I, I think they're more conscious of it, but I think at some point there's a balancing act between, you know, yeah, I need to have that big car to, to, to satisfy my own personal needs versus save the planet. So I think they both, they're all inter, interwoven through that. Thank you very much both. I'm I'm laughing to myself and now I'm obviously laughing out loud because Ellen knows from back in some of the earlier Future of Cars shows and especially when I was doing some remote hosting for the SAP, uh, the BP for Auto conference, Ellen. That would happen. It was happening in uh, in Vegas, I think it was. Uh, I used to ask each of the people I interviewed whether by well, it was. I was looking forward at 2020 or toward 2020, and that would be 2025. Will you have the keys to your own car in your pocket in the next five years? Remember, Ellen, and I used mm-hmm. to take a poll of who was going to have their own car. I said, I'm one of those. Yes, I have the sports car. I love it. I don't have a family to transport around. And my friends who were tall, well, too bad. They're going to get get down and squeeze themselves into my 370Z. We're going to put the top down in here in Durham. We're doing 80 on a good day on I-40. And coming from New York with the LIE being the world's longest, largest parking lot, this is like, woo, I'm doing 80 and everybody else is too on a sunny day in the middle of the week. So I, I have to ask both of you, we're not at the end of the show yet, but I have to ask you, Ellen, will you have your own car keys in your pocket versus the shared mobility economy by 2025? What do you predict? You're young. What do you see? I want my car. I, I love my freedom. <laughs> it's my office. It's literally my office too. So I, yeah, we need the car. Um, and, and then Bonnie, when, after you go back to Gary, let's get back to IOT because I think the car yes. is critical on the IOT side too. Absolutely, we will. Gary, car keys, your pocket, or shared economy? No, 2025 for sure. It'll be very similar to it. what it is today. I'll have my own car keys, and I will use Uber when it's most convenient or if I'm going to have a couple glasses of wine when I'm somewhere dining. But otherwise, I will have my own car keys. Now, if you ask me 2040, um, <laughs> they'll have taken my license away by then, and then I will be completely reliant on uh, on a, on a car, but at least I know I'll be able to share a ride and not be stuck at home like previous generations. Oh, that that's a good looking forward. We we fi- I finally let my mother convince herself, and I think ninety six that it was time to not be driving any longer, and uh, it was a sad day for her. But there were always cabs, and there was me on the weekends. We went shopping together for groceries and and taking her to, to for clothes or whatever she wanted, and it was a delightful way for us to spend more time together driving her around. So I, I I know I know I don't know how old you'll be in twenty forty, Gary, but what can I say? I don't know if I'll, I'll be around. Probably will. Anyway. 
uh, let's go back. Ellen, we have a few more minutes. IoT, Internet of Things, what are we talking about here? It's exciting. It's sensors. It's data pouring in that we never knew we had before. It's analytics. It's data scientists, a new field in the workforce. So, Ellen, what is this going to do in terms of future of talent and diversity? Talk to me. All right. So I think when Gary talks, his industry is even more advanced in terms of taking the industry for that. Oh, taking in sensor data, using it in the plant because it's it's a lot more stable. You know, the auto industry because these vehicles are going all over, and there's consumers, and there's privacy laws, and there's lots of reasons that that it's confusing right now. But mm-hmm. I, ultimately. Ultimately, these auto manufacturers are going to make cars that are doing over-the-air updates, you know, as much as possible, and then we're going to need new brake pads and new um, oil, maybe oil changes if it's still a combustion engine. But the the demand for service is going to shrink because of the software, because of IoT. So, and Gary's industry is even more advanced in in that way. Um, Gary, go ahead. Gary, I want to hear what you say about your industry. How advanced is it? Is Ellen right? Yeah, uh, yes, and it's uh, it, the industrial machinery. I'm going to go back to the stereotype of the dirty old factory. Um, a lot of times people consider the industrial manufacturers as laggards as far as technology goes with, with a stereotype, but uh, it's not true. They've been doing telematics, and um, you know, long before it was called Internet of Things, they've been doing connectivity. If you put a you know, million-dollar piece of mining equipment up in a mountain somewhere in the middle of nowhere. It's it's got to be connected at some level, and uh, you know this is this is true. So asset uh, overall equipment effectiveness, as it is called, as a KPI, is mm-hmm. uh, has always been critical to these. For from a sales perspective, I sell my equipment based on some of these wonderful KPIs, and from a from a buyer's perspective, um, if the if the stuff's not running. Then uh, you know it's it's costing me a ton of money. So yes, it's been very uh, it's it's pretty prevalent. And some of the the best use cases that I know of are coming out of the industrial machinery environment. Interesting. Do you, do you think more PR about that, Gary, will make people excited about coming back and working in manufacturing? Younger generations who will aspire to be in a an industry 4.0 enabled factory or facility, which I mentioned in my in my opening here, talking about enticing the best and the brightest to work in Industry 4.0 enabled factories and companies, of course, will get the benefit of diversifying their workforce. Do you think that there's that, I use the word cachet, that sexiness of, wow, have we got technology at work here and you can be part of it? What do you think? I think it's, uh, I think it absolutely um, will have an impact. And, and I think that, you know, you talk about the cachet, so when uh, when I was a younger man, you know, when I when we talked about robots, you know, I was uh, I saw Tobor the Great when I was a kid, uh, which you'd have to Google that anybody else listening. But Tobor is robot spelled backwards, and it was a real cool cool robot movie, and the Lost in Space robot. And I mm-hmm. have a 1960s version of a toy I had as a kid called Mr. Mercury. Google that and look <laughs> at the images. So I I consider the robotics to be very very cool. And um, I think that people still do. So I Gary? think that if you thought... <laughs> yes, you were... I, was gonna, I found Tobor the Great, a.k.a. Tobor, is a 1954 independently made American black and white sci-fi film. Uh, starring no, Charles Drake. I believe me, I did, 
I didn't yeah. see the premiere. I, I, I saw it when it was, you know, kind of an old rerun thing on Family Classics. But no, I didn't see it in 54, but continue on, Bonnie. I was going to tell you, it, the film inspired a Tobor the Great comic book story series written by Dennis somebody here. I don't have the full thing. Early in the movie, a model of the Earth rotating on its axis in space is seen. A boy calls upon his best friend, a lumbering robot, to save him and his inventor grandfather from communist age. Oh, let's hide in the basement. Okay. I hope I didn't go. offend there anybody. Cold War. Tobor will save us. <laughs> so, oh, so I, oh, my I, goodness. And I still think, I still go think ahead, robots Gary. have that cachet. The robots still have that cachet, I believe. I oh, think they do. Ellen, go ahead. Ellen? Uh, I was just going to say, my, my 21-year-old son went to Seoul, South Korea to see it, and he got off the plane, and you're greeted by robots. Like, that's who comes to greet you. You know, welcome to Seoul and giving you directions on where to go. He videotapes. I mean, it's remarkable. If you land in Seoul, you're greeted by a robot today. Exciting and a little bit creepy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's time for yeah. our crystal ball predictions round. Gary agreed. Ellen, let's start with you. I have six minutes left to close the show. So let's say, uh, oh, I can give you both two minutes apiece. Ellen knows that's astronomical in Game Changers Radio Land to have two minutes for your prediction. So, Ellen, look ahead into the crystal ball. Let's go to 2025 to 2030, if you don't mind. What do you predict? What do you see? The future of talent and diversity for mobility manufacturing is it going to become more diverse and how ellen predict go 100 percent, yes it's going to be more diverse and it's going to be driven by people who know people who get new people into their work environment i, I mean I, I don't think there's any other way to to get enticed into something new and different like let's say you've never done technology software robots any of that um, but someone invites you in to some kind of company where you can learn those things, it's only going to blossom. We're going to see more and more diversity. And, I, and diversity in all ways, Bonnie. That's age, you know, older people back to work, um, women, African-American, whoever. I think it's all going to be, if you're motivated and you're determined, you're going to be welcome. That's my prediction. Thank you very much. And, well, she didn't take up nearly two minutes, Gary, so I can give you two and a half. Go ahead. I'll take it. Well, <laughs> I, I think you're going to see from 25 to 30, you're, you're going to see, you know, some of the trends that are going on now continue and increase. Like there'll be more contingent labor. There'll be more, you know, automation, of course. There's going to be robotic process automation eliminating repetitive tasks. And, and why do I mention these things? Well, when I was a... a, a kid in grammar school studying history, they would talk periodically about Ford and how he built the plant and paid everybody a lot of money and they wanted to work there. And he didn't pay them a lot of money because it was benevolent. He paid them a lot of money so that they would buy his cars. And then as automation and things got improved, you know, the work week went from 12 hours a day, six days a week to 10 hour days to, you know, what we have today, 40 hour weeks as it would be a typical one. I think that uh, we will be on four-day work weeks in, in, uh, in a lot of industries. I know Microsoft tried this in, uh, in Asia and had, was great success. Productivity increased. Employee satisfaction increased. And I think with all the automation and the things I mentioned in the beginning of my answer, I think uh, there could be a four-day work week on the horizon, and I think that would be another great attraction if I could go to work in a factory and only do it four days a week, 
Mm-hmm. I think that would be a reason for me to, to look at it. Now, of course, there's expenses and there's some manufacturing with startups and shutdowns and you can't necessarily do it. But there's a lot of places that um, that would go to four-day work weeks or four 10-hour days um, in the past when demand was low. And I think that the uh, demand for labor goes down a little bit as the automation increases. So um, I think that you'll see more and more companies by 2030 go into a four-day work week. Interesting. And interesting that that's probably one of the few places where you can't call it in. You can't really work remotely if you're in what we used to call assembly line. Am I right, Gary? You can't stay home and say, yep. well, I think I'll work from home today. You have to be there, <laughs> which, right. which has, in a way, Ellen and Gary, it has social benefits of having a workforce who actually see people. They talk to each other. They have to collaborate, communicate. Think about the benefits of this diverse, disparate socially and geographically disparate workforce that's all over the world, dialing it in, phoning it in, Wi-Fi is connecting remotely to their jobs and they don't see anybody. And now you have an industry that requires you to show up and be there. I love that. Ellen Sasson and Gary Nelson, it has been a real pleasure speaking with both of you. Thank you for being so here, authentic, real, in the moment, lively, prepared. And I really enjoyed that. I want to say thank you to my engineer. I call him engineer with the uh, nerves of steel, Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, Voice America. And again, thank you so much to Judy Kubis at SAP for renewing the series and renaming it. Judy, we love the new name. So here's my call to action. And by the way, a little birdie told me in Michigan, they do 85 miles an hour in the right lane on the highways and nobody even says a word. So there you go. Let's all go to Michigan with our sports cars. Here's my call to action and how appropriate for this show. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ellen Sasson and just like Gary Nelson at SAP. We'll be back in a couple of more weeks with a new series, a new episode of this series. And we're here every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern live on the Business Channel with one of our many Game Changers radio series. So mark your calendar and tune in. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.